0: hey everyone gene ginsburg here and welcome to another episode of listen by gene ginsburg very excited today have a very special guest ted harrington how are you i'm good thanks for having me excited to be here yeah, i'm super excited that you're here and first question i always like to ask my guest just to kind of give our audiences some context tell us about your background
1: Sure. Yeah. So I'm i I'm a leader of ethical hackers and I am in the fortunate position to, you know, help tech companies build better, more secure software systems. And, and we do that through hacking. And, uh, and I wrote a book about how to do that appropriately and, and correctly and effectively, uh, called hackable. Wow. Okay.
0: A lot to unpack there. So let's, um, first is, I guess is What can you describe exactly what hacking means in this particular scenario? I think everybody has a different definition of it. So what is it that how do you help companies with software hacking?
1: Yeah, actually, that's a really good question, because even within security, uh, people don't get that question quite right. So uh, a a lot of the way that this term is misused, people will think of hackers as just bad people. Or nefarious, right? (laughs) Exactly. Nefarious for sure. I mean, pretty much every news headline you ever read about a story getting some sort of security, suffering a security breach is like hackers did blank or whatever. Yep. And that's only partially true though, because really what a hacker is, is it's neither, a hacker is neither good nor bad. A hacker is a a creative problem solver. A hacker is somebody who looks at a system and says, well, it's supposed to do X. Can I make it do Y? And the distinction, the sort of fork in the road comes after that point, which is when it comes to motivation. And are you wanting to see if a system can do something different because you want to abuse the system for some sort of personal gain or to harm another organization, or are you trying to help that organization? And so those who are on the helping side are what the corner of the world I come from, which is ethical hackers. And the other side are what would be considered attackers. So, um, what that means then in terms of how do we help a company companies who build things they recognize that they are constantly under attack and it's kind of an interesting thing about my profession from i guess from a marketing standpoint i don't really need to tell people hey like attackers are out there they're like i know how do i deal with it and uh, one of the ways that you deal with that is by having someone with the bad guy mentality but who is a good guy on your mm-hmm. team. And essentially that's what my profession is, is we help people actually find out how would, an, how would a system be attacked? How would you do it? And then how do you prevent against it? How do you fix the problems?
0: Right, yeah. So it's kind of like being in compliance, right? Like you have to know what the fraudsters are thinking and just kind of to uh, you know, alleviate any of those problems and kind of think about them on the other side. Like what are their thoughts, right? So same thing I would imagine on this end as well.
1: Similar. And yeah. then I love the way that you framed it in terms of we have to think the way the, the opponent is thinking. 100% agree. That's one of the core themes, not just in my book, but in basically any conversation I have with anybody ever is you, know, you have to think like an attacker. You have to think like a hacker. Um, but it's not like compliance because compliance is really more of an exercise in seeing, you know, here's a, a list of boxes. Did you check these boxes? And that is not how attackers operate. Um, but for some reason, companies think that is how to defend against them. And mm-hmm. uh, those two actually don't line up correctly.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So, I, I, but makes sense. Um, so, what are just give us an example, you know, maybe broad strokes as to if a company comes to you, what is a typical problem that you're solving for them?
1: Sure. So, the problem almost always is one of a small number. It's either they're building some sort of system and they need to prove to their, to themselves and to their customers or stakeholders that they are secure. Mm -hmm. And they know that just saying like, Oh, we're highly secure. That's just not going to cut it. Or they've tried that actually. And it hasn't worked or they're a very large company and they have a lot of their own third parties that they trust. And they're trying to figure out how do we, trust all of these organizations who, if they get hacked, then it becomes my problem. And so I think that a way that these things commonly play out is, you know, we'll, we'll look at a system. I mean, this is a real world example uh, of in a, a project we did recently where, so what a company is trying to understand is could an attacker actually bring our system to its knees. And so we were looking at this one system and what's really interesting is we found there were two issues that each issue on its own maybe isn't that big of a deal but when you combine them it was catastrophic and the first issue was basically that you it's called information leakage and it means you could i uh, the system's giving up information that it shouldn't and you could identify every user in the system so not that big of a deal but you don't want it to happen the second problem was that the way that the system verifies whether or not someone's allowed to change their password or or their credentials is that way that that worked and that system was broken. And the way it worked was you have to supply your user ID. So on its own, maybe not as big of a deal, but you combine it with this problem where you can identify every user in the system. You take them together and all of a sudden an attacker can identify every user in the system and they can thus change the passwords for every user in the system. And thus the whole thing just completely falls like a house of cards.
0: Mm -hmm. So, so how did we you
1: identify that? We could tell oh, them ahead. how to fix it. Right. So, sorry.
0: So how did, no, how did you get into this line of business? It's, uh, is that, uh, I mean, what was kind of the catalyst? It's an interesting way. I mean, of course there's a lot of security out there and you know, we do need people like yourself who do security, but how did you specifically get into this line of business?
1: Well, we came out of a piece of uh, security research that was focused on uh, hacking a car actually. And at the time, <laughs> You know, my book is called Hackable because I was thinking there's a lot of people who who make this claim that some system is, you know, it's unhackable. Mm-hmm. People don't make that claim quite as much now as they used to, but I, I, I call the book that because I'm like, well, what's the opposite of that absurdity? Uh, and there was this system that powers uh, a wide range of automobiles. Nissan was using the system at the time, Mazda, Ford, basically most of the major uh, car makers. And the system was like literally considered to be, you know, unhackable. And so, of course, you say that to a bunch of hacker-minded computer scientists, and they'll say challenge accepted. Of course. So we went out, and uh, basically it works in the ignition sequence to make sure that uh, if you don't have the authentic uh, car key, the car won't start. And so we found a way to actually reverse engineer the cryptographic algorithm, build a weaponized software radio, and actually start a Ford Escape without the authentic key. And that was a pretty vivid demonstration. You could imagine having, you know, starting a car without the real key. And um, as a result, there was a lot of media around it. A lot of news articles um, all around the world written about it. And then companies came calling. They said, hey, you understand how to break systems. We're building a thing. Can you help us, you know, figure out how to break the thing? And then it's just, we've never really looked back since.
0: Oh, ah, so it's more like just a challenge in the beginning. You, you weren't really even thinking about making a business out of it per se.
1: Not originally. No, it was, it was purely research. And then, uh, it made sense to turn it into a business and right. it took several years to really mature into a proper like business that we are today. And now today we're quite a mature and sophisticated organization, but the, the fundamental roots are the same, which is just, it's about research. It's about helping organizations understand their problems and fix them and do it better.
0: Right, right, right. So, um, Talking about just switching gears a little bit here in terms of, uh, of course, we've experienced the pandemic. And I don't know, have things been kind of more or less on, on your end, back to normal? Or are you still in San Diego, still experiencing pandemic?
1: Well, I think just in terms of general life in in Southern California, things are mostly back to normal with the exception of like, you know, transit, you have to wear masks and stuff. But yeah. I think the, the industries that we're in and, and serve, I think they're mostly back there was, you know, we were affected just like, I think pretty much everybody was right. uh, maybe to varying degrees, but yeah, people in technology definitely slowed down to say, Hey, what you know, what are we going to do about this? Um, but definitely a silver lining that came out of it was companies now started thinking about security differently. They said, Hey, our workforce has to go work from home. How, what are we going to do about that?
0: And right. those
1: are real, that's a really positive outcome. I think that those conversations are happening.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what actually the next question I was going to ask piggybacking off of the pandemic uh, is, yeah, what have been the changes? Of course, I'm, you know, I'm, on my end, I'm, I'm obviously not an expert like yourself, but, you know, a lot of people working from home now. How is that? Uh, what's what's the change on your end when it comes to now securing a network for people who are working in, you know, Boise, Idaho and San Diego and New York City. Right. So yeah. uh, what's been the change uh, in your industry and for you since the beginning of the pandemic? This podcast is brought to you by the digital marketing method monthly group coaching program, your methodology for growing your business and your social media following. Join me and my group of supportive entrepreneurs and learn how you can grow your business and your social media following where we cover topics such as Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, email marketing, and so much more. Go to dmgroup.online group online.
1: Yeah. So certainly companies having to think about, okay, well now our workforce isn't in our corporate network, which we've invested theoretically, you know, time, money, and effort to secure. And that's not necessarily true everywhere, but for the most part, let's assume that's somewhat true uh, to now saying, well, everyone's going to go work from home and maybe we don't even have, maybe they're using personal devices and uh, their kids are sharing devices. And um, so that's a really significant change for sure. And uh, companies, I think pretty quickly sort of tried to figure it out, which I was really inspired to see. But the most important thing that came out of it is that it's it's been triggering these conversations where it's forcing security into the discussion uh, that the business is having. And those are going to, you can't unring that bell, which is a really good thing. So now as people are thinking about, okay, well, we're returning back to maybe a hybrid workforce, or maybe we're forcing everybody to come back in the office, or maybe we're forcing everybody to forever stay remote. Whatever it is, they're thinking differently now about their uh, their threat model and the way that they've uh, approached security. And that's, that's an amazing thing. I'm really happy to see that happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. So tell us about your book, Hackable, right? <laughs> yeah, hackable, yeah. Uh, well, I wrote it because two things happened. Uh, the first thing was that I felt, I observed that I was, I kept having the same conversations over and over and over again because in my role as, you know, getting to lead this really incredible group of ethical hackers is that, you know, I'm, I'm constantly working with leaders in technology, leaders in security as they're trying to figure out in their company, how are they going to, how are they going to do this? And I noticed that irrespective of geographic location, industry, size of the company, maturity of the company, what they do, it, it almost didn't matter Everyone had these same, I eventually organized it into around 10 or so problems. Everyone has, everyone has these same problems. And I thought that was really interesting. And then I started thinking about, okay, well, what are the conventional solutions to those problems? And that was the thing that really the swift kick in the butt that said, you have to write this book because I realized that the conventional solutions, the way that most people talk about solving those problems that everybody has are wrong. And I found that to be unacceptable. You know, that you have someone who's building a company in some way, they're leveraging technology to do so. They realize that security is an important part of it. They realize they have some security challenges. So they go out and try to solve the security challenges. And the answer they get are wrong. Mm -hmm. And looking at that, I mean, I just, I couldn't stand for that. So I wrote the book to address those problems, to address the misconceptions and say, Hey, most people think that it's, you know, this one thing, but really you should be thinking about it this other way. And then here's how to go implement those ideas. And I wrote it to be very, very easy to understand. I mean, I literally wrote it as if I was speaking to my you know, 12-year-old nephew. Like how would I describe it to him who doesn't necessarily understand corporate jargon or doesn't understand the, even the principles of security. And hopefully it's resonating with people. It hit number one bestseller. So hopefully uh, that means that it is. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Wow. Uh, when did the book come out? uh, came out in December of 2020. So oh, okay. uh, so just less than a year.
0: Just, just, wow. Very exciting. And already an Amazon bestseller. That's, yeah. that's fantastic news. Um, yeah, it's uh, I can relate to that. I wrote, I wrote a book about four years ago. And so definitely a, a feat of strength to put that thing together, put it on Amazon, get it to Amazon bestseller, uh, a lot of work that goes into those things. Uh, so I can totally understand that. Um, so uh, we talked a little bit offline before uh, we started recording, but our audiences are typically small businesses and um, entrepreneurs. Um, so what's one piece of advice that you can provide when it comes to uh, security, internet security, network security um, for small businesses and entrepreneurs?
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, I have a tremendous amount of empathy for uh, small businesses and for entrepreneurs. I mean, that's, that's me too. Right. I, am, I am you. Um, and I know how hard security is. I know how hard it is to, uh, do everything that a small business requires. And then here's Ted over here telling us that like, there's all these security problems I don't know how to deal with, let alone how am I going to afford it? How am I going to do it right? So what do I do with that? And so I think the simplest advice of security advice that I would give to my fellow entrepreneurs would be to recognize that this is not, uh theoretical these these challenges they they actually exist but some of the solutions are beyond your scope right like as a small business you're not going to force I don't know Microsoft or Google or any of the companies that you might use for various services to like to deliver security differently than they than they already do but that's also a benefit and so my advice would be yeah. when you're a small company think about try to think about yourself in the through the lens of what how an attacker might think of you. So to do that we have to think about well what would motivate an attacker? Attackers are motivated by profit or notoriety or geopolitical advantage, corporate espionage, whatever. And so then think about your company and say, well do I have something that an attacker might be interested in attacking me to get or to compromise in some way? And by doing this, this thought exercise, it helps you think a little bit differently. M- many small businesses think I'm too small. No right. one would ever think to attack me. And that's unfortunately not true. I wish it was true, but it's actually not true. And so by just doing through this first thought exercise of saying, well, what do I have that someone would want? Even if you have difficulty doing that exercise, and I'm happy to help anybody through it that just wants to talk through it, I'm very accessible. Um, that will help you think a little bit differently about the threats in your business. And then here's what's cool about that. That same mentality is applicable to all of the other threats against your business like how we think about defending against hackers is how we think about defending against disruption how we think about defending against uh new competitors in the marketplace uh how we think about the way that technology is going to shift or or the political winds are going to shift the marketplace how we think about the challenges with retaining top talent and getting poached and so having that sort of defensive mindset by thinking like the opponent is so powerful as a business owner in terms of being able to defend against the many threats that your business faces. And for that reason alone, like let alone the security part, like think like an attacker and it will help you uh, take the steps you need to in order to uh, thrive across your business mm-hmm no that's a good point I
0: I also think like oh I'm too small you know why would anybody want to attack my small little website or my small little you know obviously I'm not a Microsoft or a Facebook or you know or a yeah, Google right uh, compared to all of those other big uh, corporations so it's like I you know I that was when you said that I was like I think that way too and Obviously, that's probably not the right way of thinking about it, right? It's not like, oh, well, I'm too small. Why would anybody, why would anybody want to hack me? And you know, I have a small business, <laughs> so, um, so it's a good point, um, something to consider. You know, I always, I always say I learn something off from every guest that comes on to this podcast. Yeah. So, so yeah, thank you for sharing that, and I think that's important for for me and everybody who's listening um, to think about that as part of their small business. Um, and then the last question I always like to ask is kind of a wild card. Um, what is your prediction for the future? And that is uh, very open ended. It Could be specifically your your industry. You know, let's say security, could be terraforming Mars, self driving cars, uh, AI, robotics. You know, whatever Elon Musk has on his agenda
1: for the day. Uh, completely open ended. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, there's maybe. <laughs> There's many predictions that I have, but I think that, I mean, one of the things that certainly fulfills me and drives me just as a, a technology professional is I see the way that software already runs the world, and that is only going to increase and to change. Uh, and by change, I mean it's going to increase. <laughs> so I just said it twice. Uh, the ways that Um, industries almost just uh, domino after domino after domino are getting transformed by the way that tech is actually evolving or adapting even some of the most like uh, stubborn and old school type industries. I mean, you even think about like, you know, how do we manufacture potatoes, right? How does a potato become a French fry? That whole process is being so unbelievably automated. Technology is uh, starting to teach itself with artificial intelligence and machine learning. And so I think the future is that it's going to allow the um, like uh, all industries will be able to advance and adapt, but it's going to have a real impact on human capital because we're going to lose a lot of jobs in the process. Yeah. And so my advocacy, I think, is for us to think about how does what role does technology have in our respective industries today? And what will that role be in five or 10 years? And what should we be thinking about the future of our respective workforces?
0: Wow. Yeah, absolutely. But but the question is, can a hacker go into the potato automation and make it instead of a French fry, maybe like a swirly or a curly fries, you know, potentially.
1: That's what I would do. That's 100% what I would do. Just make everything
0: tater tots. Forget about notoriety and money, right? What about just changing the shape of the the potato, right? (laughs) And hacking into the automation there. Uh, um, No, I I totally agree about them. Going back to seriousness now um, about, yeah, so many... uh, Oh, automation. I mean, it's already. I mean, even in the last two hundred years, we've already had obviously automation, and it's already removed a lot of jobs. And of course, you know, there's that's always the downside of automation, right? And we're only just starting to even scratch the surface of what's you know what's happening in the future. Uh, I had somebody on the podcast uh, who I asked that question, and we talked about uh, self-driving cars and how that's also you know that part. That is in, in itself also automation, right, in a way. And now that's going to change the workforce in the next, you know, five to 10 years if there's not going to be uh, any more truck drivers or uh, people who are driving Uber, right? So uh, so it's a subset of automation as well, self-driving cars, but uh, it's very true. A lot of it goes back to what's going to happen to, to people and jobs in the next five to 10 years uh, in a lot of different industries, right? Um, so that's, that's, it's very interesting to, to talk about that and kind of the, what I call the future of work or what's known as the future of work. Um, but yes, lots of changes, right? Um, I, I totally see that as, as the next prediction. Well, I see that as also next thing that's going to be happening is How do we change then how people uh, get acquire skills, right, and and find new jobs to replace those old ones that maybe are obsolete, right, Um, and are no longer, or maybe are now um, taken care of by a robot or an automated system? So,
1: yeah, my my hope to that is my hope that the societal reaction to this will be the the realization that what we need to do is we need to um skill people up in computer science so right right now people go into computer science because they're sort of already wired that way right they're already like really into math or uh they have that sort of engineering mindset but i think the mainstream you know person who goes to you know high school and then college or whatever they're not necessarily thinking about computer science but if we now realize well hey if we can make more computer scientists then instead of people who might go into other professions that are going to go away over the next five or 10 years, well, first of all, we've now trained them to be relevant in a tech-oriented future, which also has the benefit that it's going to further accelerate the development of technology in the world. And so that to me is, I mean, maybe it's way too utopian of an idea, but to think that the solution to this looming problem will itself create more opportunity, more evolution, solve more societal problems. And that's, I mean, if that's not inspiring, then man, I don't know what is. Mm -hmm. I agree. I love that thought.
0: Hopefully that just changes things around, right? And we just solve more problems instead of less, right? (laughs) Instead of complaining about having problems. So awesome. Well, this is a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I always love talking about the future of work. Um, And uh, Ted Harrington, the book is Hackable. And of course, if you have any guys have any questions about security or looking at what, you know, your small business looks like when it comes to security, uh, uh, let's definitely reach out. So how can our audiences get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, super easy. Uh, Just go to tedherrington.com. If you want to follow me on social media, you want to learn more about my book, you want to ask questions about, you know, security testing or any ways that we might be able to help you with security, you just want to talk to me, like, I'm, I'm accessible. So just go to tedharrington.com, and however I can be a resource, I would be happy to do that. Great. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me.